BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, and welcome back to the What We Said podcast. My name is Chelsea, and my co-host JC is not here with me today. I am going to be doing a solo episode. So as you notice, this is a bonus episode. It's coming out on a Friday, and it is the last Friday of the month. And we are going to be doing our bonus episodes every last Friday of the month. So be looking forward to that. We're really excited to be adding an extra episode every single month. So very, very excited about that, and you should be too. So when um, I was going to do the solo episode and I was thinking, what could I talk about today? So I asked for ideas on my Instagram because why not? You guys always have the best ideas. Um, And if you want to follow my Instagram, it's at Chelsea Jade Curtis. It's a fun time over there. But I asked for ideas on, you know, put a question box out there. You guys gave me some great ones. And a lot of you actually said, tell your life story. And I was like, I would have to be so egotistical to talk about myself for an hour. So what could be more perfect than doing exactly that? No, but I'm going to be doing kind of telling you a little bit about myself and my kind of life story very quickly and answer the questions that you asked me also along the way, if that makes sense. So I'll be talking about moving tips, body image tips, kind of life lessons that I've learned and answering your questions within the story. I thought that would be fun. You know, you can get, you can get to know me a little bit better, know why I am the way I am. And also I can answer all of your questions that you asked me at the same time, you know, killing two birds with one stone. Actually, I don't like that saying. It's kind of sad, but you know, getting two things done at the same time is a better way to put it. Okay. Well, here we go. I'm going to try and keep this brief and I wrote it down um, points. So I'm trying to keep this under 50 minutes. Here goes. Chelsea Gustafson is my maiden name. That's the name I was born with. Chelsea Gustafson. It's a Swedish last name. Um, But I was born in California, in Santa Clara, California. I grew up in Arizona, though. So when I was about two, we moved to Arizona, and we've lived there ever since. I've lived in the same house since I was in kindergarten. And yeah, I mean, now I don't obviously don't live there. But growing up, went to, you know, the same elementary school, never moved around or anything like that. So I have two older brothers, a younger sister, and two younger brothers. And I'm the third. So that makes me the middle child. And honestly, that tells you enough about me right there. I could just end the episode now, and you would basically understand why I am the way I am because of that small and simple fact. But alas, I will not end it here. My mom and dad have been together for 20 something years, maybe almost 30 years. And I have literally nothing to complain about my childhood. My childhood was great. Um, We were definitely lower middle class all growing up, you know, rich enough to not be able to afford a lot, but not poor enough to get them for free, you know, like school lunches and all that stuff, which uh, when I think about the only thing in my childhood that like kind of 
you know, maybe gave me some not so great habits, it would be like my mindset about money. My dad lost his job when the economy crashed in like 2006, 2007. And then he went back to school to be a teacher. But between that time, like he didn't have a job and my and while he was going back to school, um, my parents had six kids all under, you know, I think my oldest brother was in high school at the time and I was in middle school. And I just remember them being so stressed out about money. And maybe they thought they hid it from us. And maybe some stuff they did hide and I just don't know. But I remember multiple occasions hearing about how we had like zero dollars right before we would go on a vacation or, you know, just things like that, like the fam- the yearly vacation where we'd road trip to San Diego and just things like that, that kind of put me right into a scarcity mindset where I grew up thinking like there was never going to be enough money. And I'll get into that a little bit later too. But that same year that I started my um, junior high experience was the year that my family was going through this kind of financial thing. So junior high was rough all around. I had zero friends. Well, um, actually I did have a couple school friends, but it almost was worse because they would never invite me to hang out outside of school with them. Um, Like if you were to ask people at school, who's your best friend? Like I had two or three friends, but they wouldn't ever ask me to hang out outside of school. So I never would like hang out with them on half days or I felt very excluded and I never felt like I really belonged with anybody. And... I'm just insecure. Like I had kind of messed up teeth at the time. I had a huge gap and teeth weren't growing in. So I was missing some teeth and I was just so insecure about that. It was before I got braces and it wasn't until high school that I made friends. But I remember even like the last day of seventh grade, I didn't get invited to any after school parties or anything. Like everyone was going you know, it's a half day and in Arizona, it's pretty hot. So people are always having pool parties and I was not invited to any of them. Like I literally just sat at home and I remember being so just sad and rejected and felt so alone. And even though I had my siblings, it just wasn't the same. Like I just wanted to be, you know, friends with people my age and in my grade. I wanted them to invite me. And then as eighth grade went on, I was still kind of struggling with the same thing. But my mom actually gave me some great advice one time. She was like, Chelsea, you just have to invite yourself. Like you got to stop thinking that everyone's thinking about you. It's not all about you. If you want to go somewhere, invite yourself. And I was like, no, I just want, you know, it's almost egotistical to think like, I just want everyone to invite me and want me to go and really care about me. And so there was this one weekend where I was upset because my best, my school best friends, as I called them, again, were not inviting me to hang out and kind of were doing their own thing. And my mom's like, just call them up. Just call your friend and ask her if you can come. And I was like, that's so embarrassing. I'm not doing that. I'm not calling her and asking her if I can come. Like, I'm not in third grade. But anyways, I mustered up the the courage and I called her and I was like, hey, what are you doing this like tonight? And she was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, some, I think it was like as you wish or something. And I was like, can I come? Like, would it be okay if I came? And it was so hard to get those words out of my mouth at the time. But she was like, yeah, of course. Like, um, we can come pick you up. Or if you want to get dropped off at my house, like, uh, you know, you can come. And I went and they ended up, we ended up hanging out all night and they were like, Hey, you want to have a sleepover? And at that point I realized like, literally if you're, if you're feeling so left out all the time, either one, you're making an effort all the time and you just have crappy friends. If that's the case, look for new friends. Secondly, you're probably not putting yourself out there as much as you think you are. If you were to just ask somebody, like, what if you just asked that group that you felt excluded from or these friends that you see that you're getting FOMO and just ask them like, hey, can I come? Very unlikely that they're going to say no. And if they say no and they're just annoyed with you, 
then get new friends. They're not even people you would want to hang out with anyways. Um, anyway, so I went to high school and, um, my older brother was there. So he was a junior and I was a freshman and I felt like freshman year I made friends because I started to invite myself places like my mom, you know, gave me that advice to do. I was really scared to do it, but the more that I did it, the more I felt confident that people wanted to be around me. And I felt more like myself, I guess. I feel like I could just be more myself. Um, actually Kylie Jenner (laughs) gives me one of my favorite quotes about this and she, I think it's one of like the older episodes where they're all on vacation in Santorini. They're pretty young. And Kendall Jenner is upset because all of her siblings went off and like jet skied without her and they never told her. So she was sitting at home all day and they came back and she was really hurt and she was saying, no one invited me. And Kylie was like, well, no one invited me either. I just don't let myself not be included. And I was like, oh, that's a good way to think about it. Like I don't let my, I mean, that's double negative, but I make myself be included. And that's kind of something I've lived by ever since then. If I want to be included, I'm going to make my best effort to be included. It's not other people's responsibility to include me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So high school was actually fun for me because I started to involve myself in things like swim team, dance team. That's where I met JC. Um, we came, we became BFFs, as you guys know, pretty dang fast. So that was fun. Like I already, I always had a best friend to kind of go through high school with. Um, but let's kind of get into boy talk because this is another question I get often, like talking to boys, dating advice. Anyways, I had this, I had the crush on this guy since freshman year. Like I always thought he was so cute. And he actually ended up asking me because I was lifeguarding every summer and I taught swim lessons for forever. He actually asked me to give his little brother swim lessons because his little brother was like a toddler at the time. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was kind of stoked because I really liked him. So I I got to go to his house and stuff. Um, And then we started hanging out. And uh, next thing we know, we were dating. And that's the guy that I dated basically throughout all of high school all of my junior year and all of my senior year, I had a boyfriend and we were, you know, pretty serious, but, but going into like how to talk to boys and like how to have the confidence. I know a lot of people, it comes naturally for them. And I feel like those people are just comfortable talking to people in general. If you have a hard time talking to boys or especially ones like Maybe like, I don't have a problem talking to boys, but boys that I like, I have a problem talking to them or, you know, having conversation and attracting boys. And I don't want this, my advice to come off manipulative, but love in and of itself is, I think people put so many different labels on it, but the beginning stages, it's, I hate to say it's like a little bit of a game, but it is. And that's kind of how you attract people to you is not being frantic. And that's what I mean by the game. You're not chasing other people, you know, but, but you're not also playing hard to get. You are just putting out the energy that you attract others and not like any kind of frantic energy, any kind of desperation. Think about when people do that to you. It's just such a turnoff truly. So I think I had a little bit of an advantage here because I grew up with older brothers and their friends were always over at our house. And so I just learned how to talk to guys and I learned that they were just like everybody else, like guys and girls talking to them. Yeah, there's differences between guys and girls, but talking to them is just the same thing as talking to a girlfriend. And you don't have to like change yourself for guys. You don't have to like turn into some girl who's like, oh my gosh, hi. Like you can just talk to them as if you're talking to your friends and then you become comfortable with them. And that's how, you know, relationships form. So I think first of all, never putting on a fake face. We all know those friends who kind of put on like a, they turn into a different person around boys. That act only, you know, maybe it does attract guys at first, but it only lasts for a bit. Like if you're just not yourself when it comes to dating, 
if you're not putting out 100% yourself and you're putting on a mask and you're trying to be something you're not, if someone's attracted to that, guess what? Now you're screwed because you have to act like that. Otherwise they're going to be like, who is this person that I'm dating? It's not a good situation. Even if you think you want to be with them so badly, just be yourself and communicate clearly and things will happen and it will feel more comfortable and it will feel more natural than this desperate, chasing, frantic energy. So that's kind of my, you know, advice for that. Just be casual with them. I'm not saying like play hard to get or anything. Just just be casual. And once you get to a point where you don't need a boyfriend and people can tell that you're happy without them, it scares boys away, but it attracts men. You know, (laughs) you know, that like cheesy saying of like, oh, boys like this, but men like a strong woman. It's true. Like literally it's true. If you want someone who's going to take you seriously, you have to be serious. Um, Anyways, going back to my experience. So I thought I was going to marry this kid that I was dating in high school, Um, had a promise ring and everything like actual promise ring. Um, But he was going on a mission for our church. We've talked about this multiple times on our podcast. If you don't know what it is, it is basically boys who are 18 and girls who are 19 can go on a mission. Um, and basically do service, preach the gospel, and yeah, just basically serve people in that area wherever they go. But they have very minimal contact with people back home. So they cannot, I think now rules have changed a little bit, but at the time you could only email them once a week and you can send them letters, but you could never like call them, text them. So it was kind of, kind of hard because you really could only talk to them on, you know, on a Monday or on a Tuesday. And so when, when you're dating someone and, and people who grew up in communities where there are a lot of LDS people probably have seen this and understand, but you know, when you're dating someone and they leave for two years, you can't really date. Like you can wait for them. That's what people call it. Like when you wait for them to come home, as in like, I will be here when you get back single, there's multiple ways you can do this. You can wait for them and you guys have kind of the agreement where we're, you know, I'm going to date while you're gone. We're both going to change. We'll see where we, you know, end up when we get, when you get back. Unfortunately, when you're so young, we were so certain we were going to end up together that we kind of, le- he left and I was like, I'm waiting for you. Like maybe I'll go on dates, but like he wasn't like ever pressuring me, but it was kind of this unspoken, like, oh yeah, we're, we're getting married for sure. And so um, he left with that. And I was thinking like, I will not date anybody else and I will marry him when he gets back two years. Like I'll just have to, you know, keep myself busy for two years. <laughs> but two years is a long time as most people who have sent off a missionary understand. And as most missionaries understand this. So he left and I moved to Utah and I did start dating, but this is actually kind of where Nick comes into the picture, which is another question you guys asked about, you know, our story and how we met and why we broke up and how hard it was. And so my missionary had been gone for about a year and (laughs) I met Nick and he was so nice to me. He was so sweet. And I actually met him through mutual friends a little bit. Nick had actually just gotten back from his mission. So he was a couple years older than me. And I had a friend who actually had a crush on him and who had had a crush on him before he left. And so I kind of knew who he was. But um, anyways, he had come back and everyone knew like, oh, Nick Curtis is coming home from his mission, like whatever. So I wasn't too interested at the time. I was just like, oh yeah, he's cute. I I acknowledge his presence, but I'm not obsessing over him. And then I met him at actually, I think the, we're a little sketchy on the first moments we met, but basically he had a, what he calls a Nick back where, you know, it's at his house in his backyard and all of his friends came and we would play, you know, we would eat 
some good food and they would play games like Can Jam, if you guys have ever played that game, or, you know, just different games or pool or, or ping pong, whatever. And so I actually was invited to that by one of his friends and my friend was going, you know, we, we were all kind of mutual friends. So we ended up going to the party. I think that's the very first time that I actually met him very briefly. I don't think he remembers that because he thinks, you know, he saw me for the first time at church, but we're just going to let him believe that that's really what happened. Anyways, we said hi for a second, but I was talking to his friends and all that stuff. So when we started, when we actually met was at church and, you know, he tells the story if you've listened to our other podcast episodes about how he saw me and he was so entranced by me. And I remember him giving me a compliment afterwards. And I was like, wow, like Nick Curtis gave me a compliment. And Nick was kind of like out of my league in my mind. Like, I was just like, no, I'm, it wasn't even an option to me. Um, I remember one time he came into church and my friend, like I said, my friend had a crush on him and we kind of just talked about how hot he was all the time. And he, one day he came into church, he looked so tan. He was wearing like a Navy blue church suit and he walked in a little bit late and me and my friends saw him walk in and we started, we just looked at him and laughed because we're like, he looks, he's just so hot. Like we literally laughed at how handsome he was. It was kind of a joke um, that like, he was just like, how does someone have that kind of a face? But Anyways, when he gave me a compliment, then the next time we actually talked and like he got my number was at the gas station. And I'm sure you guys know that story, so I'm not going to go over it again. But um, he got my number, texted me late that night, was like, hey, um, let's, we want to come over and watch a movie and and make a smoothie. And it was like 1 a.m. And I was like, no way, fam. And I had a five date rule. So he actually ended up asking me a ton of times. And I was very, very resistant because this guy that I was dating that was on his mission. I still in the back of my mind, I was kind of dating for fun. Like I knew that I was going to marry this kid who was on his mission. So dating was was never serious. So it makes a little bit more sense when when I tell people my story about meeting Nick and why we broke up and like why it was so hard for me to like even kiss him and give him a chance. Because the first date that me and Nick went on, we hit it off so well. Like we were just cracking jokes. I never met someone who was, it was just so like seamless with, like he just understood me and um, it felt so comfortable. And so by our like third or fourth date, I had this five date rule where I didn't kiss until the fifth date. And I really suggest you guys try this out. If you're having troubles, like getting someone serious, it doesn't work for everybody, but it worked for me. Obviously it got me a husband. So I would not kiss anybody until the fifth actual date not just hanging out. And Nick and I had gone on like two or three dates. And on our third date, we were going fishing. He took me to like fish in this little lake or whatever. And he was like, you know what? It's been five dates, right? Like I saw you at the gas station that one time, like trying to count other things. And I was like, no, five dates. Exactly. Because this really sets apart people who like you for you. It also kind of gives guys like, oh, I want to like makes it the fifth day. And then by that time, they have enough chance to actually get to know you. So in a way, I don't want to say you're manipulating them, but you're kind of playing to your strength. So by the fifth day, we had really gotten to know each other a lot. And not that I'm like, oh, kissing is so, you know, you have to save it till marriage or anything like that. But it was just something that I went by and obviously it worked out. So the fifth day came and he went to go give me a kiss. I panicked because I knew that I had this missionary out and I really liked Nick. And I think subconsciously I was like, I can't let this go further. I, I can't be serious because he's different. Like Nick is different and I can't, I can't even go there in my mind. So that's why I rejected his first kiss. And I was just, I told him that I was kind of scared. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to get, once I, once we start, I know we're going to like really, you know, 
get it deep to this relationship. So anyways, we dated for a couple months and it was always this thing. Like that was always a part of the relationship. Nick never talked bad about this missionary guy, but he always knew about him. He was always very respectful of it. He always knew that like, you know, eventually he would come home and I didn't want to get married to someone before he got home because I had to see it through because we had, you know, dated for so long. I felt like it was just this huge thing that I had made it up in my head that we both were kind of planning on. I had a promise ring, you guys, I had a promise ring. And so anyways, we dated and that's eventually why I broke up with him. He was way too nice to me. Like, and not like, oh, I don't want a nice guy, but just he was going 70%. I was only going about 30% because I just could not let myself give him you know, meet him halfway or both, you know, actually you both should be giving a hundred, not each giving 50%, but I just couldn't give everything to him. And I knew that, and I knew it wasn't fair. And that's why the day he told me he loved me, I knew I had to break it off. So I broke up with him the next day, which is so sad, but I had to like, looking back, wouldn't it have been more cruel of me to just let it linger? I think so. Anyways. So at that time I lived in Utah, he lived in Idaho and after I broke up with him, that's when I started my music career. So this is where we're going to get a lot of people ask me about my, my music career because I haven't really talked about that much or I guess my lack thereof <laughs> for a music career. But okay, so I posted a video of me singing and uh, I was about like 18 or something. And I entered this online competition and this artist managing company, I guess, like whatever, reached out to me and actually wanted to represent me. And I was so excited. I was so young and I was like, I never thought about this before. Like singing could actually be something that I could do, but I loved it. And so they set me up to audition for The Voice and things. I mean, I never made it, but well, at least, you know, those days. They set me up to sing at festivals, like with recording studios. And they really believed in me, which was the first time somebody was like, you, you know, you have something. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Like that gave me some confidence, gave me a boost. And I learned so much during that time period. It was probably like two years where I was really pursuing it. Um, And that was about the time that I was like, I had met Nick right after that. So I was dating the first couple months of me pursuing music. And then we kind of, you know, stopped dating. Um, But I kept pursuing it in Utah. And during that time, after we had broken up, I was still playing shows. And one show, I met this other guy and let's call him Dave. And he was in a band and he had that like bad boy vibe. And I had such a huge crush on him. Like, and we became very good friends actually, but we got into this almost relationship where it's almost worse than a real relationship. I felt very used by him. Um, we never really dated, like we never were official, but I was the person that he wanted to talk to, to make dinner with. Like I was the person he called like later at night when he really wanted to have like connection, you know, and he wanted, and when he wanted to like kiss me every once in a while, he would make a move and I'd be like, oh my gosh, he really wants to date me. Like he actually likes me. Then he would be like, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. We're just friends. It was a roller coaster. It just made me feel so used, so not worthy of love, so just undeserving, so self-conscious. He would say things about other girls. Like, I just love tall, skinny, blonde girls. Like, they just really get me. And at the time, I was like 30 pounds overweight from like what my healthiest weight is. And I had long, dark hair. And I was just like, what? Like, I like you. And you know that. And you're saying that you like the complete opposite of me. And I'm already struggling with the way that I look. 
so that's kind of when binging really became a bad habit of mine. I hid behind my hair and my clothes. Like I had long hair. I always wear like super baggy clothes. I was kind of slowly starting to fade away is the best way that I can kind of describe it. I went home that Christmas and we were still going in this weird relationship thing. And my mom pulled me aside and she could tell that I just, the light was gone and told me to take my power back. And I've talked about this before, but when she told me that, that's some advice I've taken and applied to so many areas in my life, like taking your power back. Do not let anybody else hold that power over you. You have your own power. You are in control of it. Take it back. So I started to, I started to take my self-confidence as I started to hold myself accountable for that and not so much put on other people. So I started to, um, you know, work out. I went back to Utah and, and I felt empowered to make a change. I started working out, you know, researching veganism. That's when I got into veganism. Um, I started working at this clothing store headquarters full time. And I felt like, you know, at the time that was like my passion for career. I was like, okay, maybe I could really, you know, get high up on the ladder here. I was really starting to just feel like myself again because I was taking care of myself. Okay, next thing I knew in a couple months, my missionary was coming home. Two years had flown by. I had dated a lot, you know, here and there. And, and there was that relationship, you know, Nick, and then uh, that other toxic relationship and some other random dates. So I felt like I had gotten to know a lot of people. I had experienced things. Um, I had traveled a lot, like traveled a lot as in like on the West coast for shows. I'd met a ton of new people from, you know, pursuing my music. And, uh, it was, it was an amazing experience, but like I was kind of stressing that my missionary was coming back in a couple months. Um, something about my music career that I wanted to say that that is a huge life lesson I've had to learn. And I could look at it as a regret, but I choose not to because what's the point? All throughout, you know, my music performing at little shows and like as the shows got bigger and feeling like I was almost there, like I could almost make it. And like, I could almost just get out of like the music scene in Utah and like make it, you know, get to the next step. I was holding myself back because I always felt like, this is a weird example, but just, just trust me. It's, it's a little specific to me, but I always told myself I would never be able to actually be like a really popular pop star or anything like that. A really fit, like famous musician by any means, because I couldn't belt it. Like my voice, I, I would say like my tone is nice, but I could never belt it. I don't have like this strong you know, chest voice that just booming and beautiful. Like it was just a very soft voice. And everywhere I went, um, when I auditioned for the voice first time, they told me that I sang too softly and that, um, I needed to like show my range more. And I was like, I just don't really have a range. Like I can't belt it. And I, you know, maybe I could if I tried really hard, but it's just not like something that comes natural. It's not my strength. And everyone would tell me to pick a genre. And everyone asked me, what, what's your genre that you sing? And I just never felt like I could fit myself into something to, you know, a niche. This is where the whole niche thing comes in. I never felt like I could fit a specific niche. And I was always going back and forth. And I always, I was pretty lost in like what my identity was as an artist. And so I just never, I, I sent, I wrote, um, actually a whole EP. I wrote like seven songs and I sent them off to this producer that wanted to work with me in Nashville. And he listened to it and he said, no, he's basically like, well, not no, but he basically was like, ah, uh, I think you should keep writing. Like, I don't, I don't like any of these. And it was so soul crushing to me because it was the first time I'd gotten like really rejected. And I did pretty much the worst thing you could possibly do. And that was give up after your first no. That basically, I was like, you know what? Obviously, I don't have it. Like, I'm not 
you know, I don't, I don't have what it takes because I just, I immediately told myself that I wasn't good enough and, and I should have made it on the first try. So I basically just stopped trying altogether at that. I would perform here or there, but basically it's just like cafes and stuff. Nothing. I wasn't pursuing anything. I kind of just stopped and I would sing, you know, on Instagram or whatever here and there, but I never took it seriously after that. And I think when I saw Billie Eilish come into the picture, who sang softly, and yes, she has a beautiful range, but she doesn't ever belt it like crazy. She just has like this pretty soft tone and she doesn't fit into a specific genre. And she just sings what she wants. And she sings darker music and like more, you know, whatever. And that's what I was struggling with so much. And I was like, you know what? I was trying way too hard to be like another Katy Perry or to be like another Lord or something. And I just wasn't myself. And Billie Eilish came and she was just herself. And if she had tried to be like somebody else, we would never have Billie Eilish. And I feel like that is just such a good life lesson to know. Just be yourself. You don't have to try to aspire to be somebody else. You just have to aspire to be the greatest version of yourself. And I wish so badly that that's what I would have done. But at this point, like I said, I have no regrets. I'm so happy with where I am right now. But I'm really glad that I learned that lesson. Anyway, so my missionary was coming home in a couple months. We're going back to that. And um, I was stressing a little bit. I literally moved back to Arizona because I felt like I had, I had a prompt. I really did have a prompting to move back to Arizona because I thought that I was going to marry this guy. So, um, I left Utah, moved back to Arizona and I got a job working at a summer camp for kids with disabilities that summer. And I loved it. Honestly, that might've been the reason that I felt I needed to move home in the end because I met some incredible kids that completely changed my life. Um, but he came home like a month after I lived there. And I went, so I surprised him and we saw each other for the first time and it was awesome and we missed each other. And he really was like my best friend in in high school. So it was so good to see him, but it was pretty apparent pretty fast that it just wasn't right. Like we had both changed so much, but I was not mature enough. And I don't know like necessarily where he was at to understand that and just like basically move on and understand that it wasn't wasted time. But I didn't want to wait. I didn't I didn't want to feel like I had wasted those years waiting for him and wasted those years dating and not really, you know, give it a full shot. So I still, we were still dating-ish for the next little bit. For probably like a month, we were still going on dates and we tried a bunch of different things because we just kind of knew it wasn't fitting. Um, He was like, you know, he hadn't dated anyone and I kind of wanted him to get out there and, and make sure that I was the one he wanted. So he started going taking other girls on dates and then we would go on dates as if we were like not as serious as we were, even though this guy had bought me a promise ring two years ago. And it just felt weird. It just didn't feel right. Basically, we both knew it. It was really hard to break it off. But while we were kind of, right before we broke it off, I kept talking to my mom about the relationship. And I was like comparing it to Nick. And mind you, me and Nick had been broken up at this point for like 10 months. And I was like, I just... I don't know. I just, I feel like me and Nick just had this and this and Nick was like this and Nick did this. And, you know, I kept comparing the relationship and my mom's like, why do you keep talking about Nick? Because I hadn't for forever. Like I, I really, when I broke up with Nick the first time, I thought we were done. Like I was done with him. Like I was like, okay, we're done. I wasn't planning on like, oh, we need a break. I was just like, I can't promise you anything. So when the fact that I was talking about him again, surprised me. And I think my mom, that's why she was like, um, what? And I was like, that's a good point. So me and my missionary had broken it off and it was kind of a weird break off, but whatever. It was kind of like, okay, we're done. I think, um, it was just hard because we'd spent so, we had invested so much time and also it was hard for us to kind of probably just admit that it didn't work out because I had made such a big deal about it. Like I had made like this video right before he left. 
I had planned his homecoming. I just made it such a big deal to everybody else too. Like, especially on social media, I had built it up to be this huge thing. And I felt like I was letting everyone else down if we didn't get married. So anyways, we broke up and that's when I really realized like, I love Nick. Like I, now I have seen this, this missionary through, I can say like, it would have been a really bad decision for me to just date Nick and marry him and just go on and never have known what it would be like when my missionary came home, when the guy that I did in high school came home, because I would have always wondered. So there's no regrets on my part and definitely not Nick's part because he, you know, during those 10 months learned a lot about himself as well. And so I started to try and get back together with Nick. Basically, I called him. I was like texting him again. And he was very, very resistant to this because obviously I had broken his heart and his friends and family probably didn't like me either because they just thought that I was using him and that I, you know, I just, I wasn't really as nice to him as he was to me. And I think everyone could see that, that I just wasn't in it. And that's why I broke up with him because I felt bad about that. And so getting back into his life was not just like, Hey, let's get back together. Okay. It was like, Chelsea, you really hurt me last time. Like you broke my heart. I don't know if I can just trust you again. So I kind of tried to ease my ways into in, into it. You know, I was trying to show him, like I understood that he didn't have to take me back. I wasn't trying to force it on him. I was just trying to basically get the idea across. First of all, I needed to apologize to him. I had a lot of things I needed to say to him. I needed to apologize for how I acted because I was obviously like very insecure at that point. Um, I had a lot of my mind and I also wanted to tell him like, I actually love you because I had never said that to him when we were dating previously. He told me, but I had realized even though we weren't together, like, I love you. Like you're the person that I want to be with for forever. And so me and my sister, we packed up our car and we, Nick was working in San Diego at the time. So I took my sister and we road trip to San Diego to go visit him. He thought this was like a friend. We just wanted a place to crash. We go to the beach. Little did he know I was coming to confess my love for him. So that first night I told him, Nick, I'm so sorry. I was such a brat to you. You did not deserve to be treated the way I treated you. I just want you to know, like I was very insecure, but I have learned so much. I've grown as a person. I'm like taking care of myself. I feel confident. And I understand that you're the person that I want to be with. Like I deserve to be treated well. And so do you. And so I'm willing to like make that commitment with you if you will have me basically. And I basically told him, I love you. Like I just realized that I still have feelings for you. And he was like, okay, well, actually I'm kind of seeing someone else. And I was like, rad. So he, I guess, was talking to another girl and um, yeah. So I had to wait a little bit. So he ended up, I don't know what happened with them. I think she either broke it off with him or whatever, but it wasn't ever serious. So I think they just kind of went their separate ways. And he came home to visit in Arizona and we hung out. And basically that night he was like, I can't help it, but I like love you. And you know that like he had always told me when we were dating the first time around that if he didn't marry me, he wanted to marry someone just like me. And he would always say that to me, like you are who I want to marry. And I was, of course, that scared me half to death because I was so far away from that point. But going back to it, I was like, now it's almost, I feel that way about you. Like I want to marry you. Like I, you are the person, there's no messing around. I'm not just trying to date again for fun. Like you are it for me. And so it took a couple months and we were dating and getting, you know, basically I was earning his trust back. And after a couple months of dating after that, we got engaged. And a couple months after that, we got married. 
We've been married for four years now, and since then, we've moved eight times. So here's another little advice that I have been asked because we've moved so many times is moving advice, which is a weird thing, but um, everyone does it a couple times in their life, probably. So here are some of my best tips from somebody who has moved literally eight times in the last four years. Um, I've learned a thing or two about how to make the process go smoothly. So first of all, don't throw it away if it fits um, in your car. (laughs) That's something that I have done many times where we're just sick of packing and it'll be like a broom or a mop or a vacuum or something that we absolutely need. And then we just have to buy it again. And we waste a lot of money, even though we probably could have fit it in the car. We just didn't take the time because we were lazy. If it fits in your car and you're going to need it, don't throw it away. But on the opposite spectrum, if it's not a necessity, if you don't have to buy it again when you go to save money, just throw it away. It doesn't matter. If it's something that you don't like, does not bring you joy. So here's here's a book that really helped me with moving tips. The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Read that book if you're moving or if you're, you know, doing a deep clean. That changed the way I moved because then I learned to pack by category. You do not pack room by room. You don't pack everything in your office. You don't pack everything in your bathroom. You pack by category. So clothing, all clothing. So that means it in your you know, jacket closet or coat closet in your garage, get all of your clothes and put them in boxes. And that way you can just put clothes on the box. It's so much easier. I can't even explain to you how much easier it is when you pack by category, like wires or cords, put all of the cords in one box. Otherwise you're going to be searching for things. Things won't always go in the same room as they did before. I promise you it'll change your life. Um, so yeah, definitely read that if you're, you know, for purging, for moving, for anything like that. And lastly, my latest life tips that I've had to learn, um, imposter syndrome. That's been something huge that me and JC have talked about. That's really hard to overcome. Um, feeling like you are, you know, someone's going to figure you out. Like when we're teaching a, a course, the bounce boss course on how to avoid a comparison and how to, you know, get a healthy relationship with your body, um, and how to grow a business and all of these things. It's like, you have to realize that nobody is perfect. Probably everybody, even CEOs of the company, there's probably very few of them that believe that they really are deserving to be in that spot. Everyone has a little bit of doubt. Like if you're in an imposter syndrome mindset, you're going to be thinking everything that good that happens to you is lucky and everything that bad happens to you is because of you. And that really like struck me because that's exactly how I would feel. If something really good happened, I was like, wow, luck. That's all luck. But then if something bad happened, I'm like, wow, of course. I knew it would come around some point. I had to switch that mindset into thinking everything that happens, good and bad, is because I've either prepped for it um, and I need to take responsibility for all of it. So when you know one of our courses does successfully, I don't just think, oh, we're just lucky. I think, wow, we've worked so hard. I'm so proud of myself. Now I feel confident to move forward and do more and create more. Um, and something else that... I think kind of helps you move forward and, you know, kind of go after those things, even overcoming that imposter syndrome and and gaining confidence is investing in yourself. That's kind of a side tip that I've been implementing way more into my life. I have been a health coach for many years now. Oh, many years as in two or three, but I know how important and how life-changing having a coach could be. So I was like, why don't I have a coach? I had one for a little bit, but then I just kind of fell off the wagon. And so recently I got a life coach. It's actually JC's dad. And we want to have him on the podcast because he's so good, but he's 
I talk with him once a week to make sure that I'm keeping up on things like my morning routine, my workout routine, because even though I know all of these things about thinking positively, I've read so many self-help books. It's about actually doing it and holding yourself accountable and how important that is. And so that's been something investing in yourself, buying courses to better yourself, um, just always working on yourself. And when you're feeling confident and when you're feeling at peace and overcoming anxiety is another thing that kind of comes with imposter syndrome, feeling like there's always something looming. Um, I would always like, it would show up in different ways. Sometimes it would actually be like, oh, I think this room is going to cave in on me right now. And sometimes it would be, what if I lose everything and we have to move home and with our parents again? Like no matter what it is, I had to, this is something that actually Andrew, JC's dad, who's my coach, his name's Andrew, has helped me with a lot is just being present more and reminding myself to take each moment as it comes and not judging myself for whatever happens. So in the moment, just noticing how I'm feeling without any judgment has been so helpful in every area. And once you start doing that more and more, you're going to raise your happiness level overall. I can say right now I'm the happiest and healthiest I have ever been. And that's not just because of how healthy I eat or how much I work out because I've had a more quote unquote perfect diet before in my life. I still eat sugar. I still have you know, baked goods. I still, you know, don't work out every single day, but I'm the healthiest and happiest I've ever been. And it's because I'm truly am trying to live in the moment every day. And I'm trying to just take each moment and romanticize my life and, and make sure that I'm remembering that gratitude is everything. And so I take time for gratitude journaling in the morning. I make sure to just be myself and be the most authentic version of myself that I possibly can be. And it doesn't take effort if you're just living in the moment. When you're just truly being present, you don't have to force anything. It just comes naturally. That's why I feel like sometimes when you're creating content, like the best content I've made is not being forced. It's just me being in a state of complete understanding of everything. And then from there, I can create authentic content and I can put out what I want to be creating and not what I think I should be creating. And um, I think that's the secret to basically everything. And I can tell because I'm so happy and so healthy and, and not to say that I don't have bad days. I definitely have bad days. I have bad moments where I'm comparing myself, where I feel bad about myself, but it's about getting those times less frequent and less frequent. Like the, you want like 80, 20, so 80% of the time you're happy, 20% of the time, you know, you're feeling negative thoughts and you're you're trying to overcome them. And I don't judge myself if a negative thought comes in my head, like you look hideous today. I just noticed that I thought that, let it go. And just accept that. Okay, moving on to the next thought. And um, anyways, I want to end this episode with letting you guys know, if you get nothing else from this, I'm, I'm glad you listened to my whole life story basically wrapped up in 45 minutes, but I want you to know that whatever your story has been, wherever you are right now, it's okay. You're not better or worse off. I know that sounds crazy for for where you've been and for, you know, what you've gone through. You're exactly, uh, this is something I think you should ask yourself is, what if I'm exactly who I need to be today? What if I'm exactly where I need to be? Instead of thinking all of these negative thoughts, switch it up to think, what if me struggling with this eating disorder is going to make me so much better person in the future? What if I'm going to be able to have so much more compassion for people who struggle with their body image? What if me struggling so much with money right now is going to teach me so many life lessons that down the road I can apply and I can be so much more successful than I ever would have been? 
what if these thoughts right now are here to help me realize what I need to work on? If we switch our thoughts to more positive thinking and we work on that little by little, it will change your entire life. It will, it will show up in every area of your life. So I just want to end with that. Like, I just want you guys to understand that you are everything you need to be. You have, your potential is within you and you're not trying to chase it. You already have limitless potential inside of you. You can do whatever you want if you truly believe that you can. And I know that's cheesy and I know that sounds far-fetched, but um, if you haven't listened to our Law of Attraction, um, Attracting Good Things Into Your Life episode, I really, really think you should do that. And I know that things are hard and people have excuses and there are seriously hard situations to overcome. But like I've said before, if you lose hope, you have nothing. You have to keep hope and you have to keep looking for what is going right and what is good. And if we do that, we can, life is so much more worth it and life feels so much better when we see the good and when we're looking for what's going right. So I want you guys to know that you're enough just as you are right now. And I want you to let go of any negative thoughts that you're thinking like about yourself today and that you haven't been productive enough today or that you woke up late, whatever that is, just let that crap go. Just let it go. And just let yourself be today and just be in the moment. And you'll have a lot more um, motivation to move forward when you love yourself and when you accept yourself completely. And actually, I'm gonna end with this because this is my this is my last Instagram post. And I'll end with that for you guys for this weekend. But I was talking about how, you know, when you have a pet or maybe you're a parent and you have a kid, when you love something or someone unconditionally, do you want the worst for them or do you want the best for them? You want the best for them. So think about that when it comes to yourself. I think people think if you are content and you accept yourself and you love yourself, you're never going to want to grow. You're never going to have the motivation to get better, but that's completely a lie. When you truly accept yourself, let go of the narratives that you have about yourself and just let yourself exist and be, you're going to want to progress so much more. You're going to want the best for yourself when you love yourself. You're going to want to take care of yourself. You're going to want to nourish yourself and you're not going to want to punish yourself as much you'll have such a more clear understanding of where to go and what to do because you're just letting yourself be exactly the person that you need to be and that you are. So with that, I'm going to leave it at that. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, Make sure to follow our Instagram at what we said podcast on Instagram. Um, We actually also have a TikTok. So you can follow our TikTok, what we said. You can follow my TikTok at Chelsea Jade Curtis. Like I said, my Instagram is Chelsea Jade Curtis. And if you, for some reason, want to learn more about me and Nick's relationship, you have questions about that, because I did get a lot of questions about that, surprisingly, which I always think is boring. But me and Nick actually did a Q&A where we answered a lot of questions on my YouTube channel. Um, so if you want to check that out, that would be great. But I think that's all. I will talk to you on Tuesday. We'll be back with JC. So have a good weekend. And that's what I said. <laughs>